This is the Bell Books and Stories podcast with your host, Kay Hutchison. Welcome. You're listening to the Bell Media podcast, where we take a look at some great books and the stories behind the books. Before I introduce today's special guest, a reminder of some of the other episodes in the Bell Books and Stories series, like Helen Lederer on her book Losing It and her Comedy Women in Print Awards. John Lunn talks about the book of his unforgettable Downton Abbey music. We interviewed Stanley Johnson on his timely thriller The Virus. And producer-director Kate Sinclair on the story of Slumdog Millionaire and the Miniaturist and how the books made the transition from book to screen. And we also talked to John Preston, author of The Dig and A Very English Scandal, whose latest book, Fall, looks at the jaw-dropping life story of Robert Maxwell. Richard was himself involved in the running of one of Maxwell's businesses, was working there when Maxwell died, and he witnessed the dramatic events in the months that followed. It makes for an absorbing conversation. In this episode, I'm speaking to someone who has worked in a somewhat hidden part of the publishing industry, where literature intersects with film and TV. She has worked behind the scenes for some of the biggest producers from LA to Sydney to London, constantly on the lookout for the best stories to reimagine as TV series or film. Some of the producers she has worked with have been involved with Harry Potter, The Handmaid's Tale, Picnic at Hanging Rock, My Brilliant Friend, Britannia, as well as The Walking Dead. My guest is an expert literary scout. What does this role actually involve? Why is it so often behind the scenes? And what are the thrills and the less thrilling aspects of this fascinating area of work? I'm delighted to welcome Philippa Donovan. Philippa, thanks for being with me today. Hello. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> Good. Um, well, I want to just start right off by helping people understand what you do. I mean, as a literary scout, who do you actually work for? Is it producers, directors, screenwriters, publishers? It's mainly producers. It's sort of interfacing between producers and literary agents and publishers on the other side. So often I sort of describe it as an act of translation because obviously mm. the, the language of film and TV is really specific and as is the language of publishing. And it's always fascinating to me, the sort of room for interpretation. It's, it's, it's fundamentally the same um, mechanics that we're talking about, but we call them different things. So quite a lot of my job is, as I say, sort of translating from one language to the other and then back again. And it's, it is a part of the industry that doesn't seem to get much um, recognition or, or at least not many people know about it. Why is that? I mean, personally, I feel like there's a lot of humility that goes along with scouting. I mean, in film and TV generally, recognition is sort of uh, the way the industry is set up. Hence the fact you have sort of those reams of executive producers and producers at the in the credits of sort of any kind of series mm-hmm. or any film. Um, and scouting is sort of known to be, uh, you, you, you go into it knowing that you're going to be working behind the scenes. You're not doing it to get a credit or an, or an acknowledgement as a rule. So it's always been, I think because it, it's interfacing, as I say, it's, you know, it's, it's neither publishing nor film and TV. We work between those those two areas so specifically that we can't really align with one or the other. And therefore it, it has to be 
a certain amount of confidentiality. You know, you need to be able to trust your scout entirely. That's such an important part of the work is the trust that you form with the producers. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting for me. I'm kind of wondering, though, if it's very behind, very much behind the scenes, how do you get your next work? Are you just well known, but kind of almost in a, a kind of parallel universe, as it were? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's pretty much exclusively word of mouth. So within the scouting community, we all know each other, um, and so producers tend to sort of ask their own scouts. I know someone who's now looking for a scout. Can you recommend something? So it is sort of all based on referral. Um, which is really nice, actually, because it feels like client lists and portfolios sort of evolve in this really organic fashion, which is quite pleasing, actually. So you work for producers mainly, and you translate between publishing and producing. So how would you describe the actual work itself? You know, Are you looking for you, it's books or authors or both? It's both. In the first instance, it tends to be sort of um, remit-based. So, for example, if a producer's specifically looking at an area of interest, broadly they could be looking at crime and thrillers or they could be looking for Regency romances, which understandably are huge at the moment, thanks to Bridgerton. (laughs) Um, So I'm sort of exploring kind of those bulk areas. And then, as I say, sort of based on that sort of trust and that relationship, I can then refine and refine and refine the sort of books that I know will light them up it's it's something that they are looking for in terms of their slate but also in terms of the writers and the directors that they work with directly uh, I'm able to sort of facilitate the the IP a bit further for those endpoints as well so it's the producer in the first instance but then it sort of becomes more outward from that even onto other people they want to work with including casts as well so Mm. it it can it it gets very interesting the the more you work for a producer and in terms of the the numbers of titles and projects you're dealing with I mean are you providing lots of recommendations or are you focusing down on a small number that you feel will definitely uh, have the potential to be to to be on the screen eventually? It sort of depends, really. It de- it depends what stage of the optioning process the producer is at. So if they haven't optioned many books, I try and keep it rather sort of broad and numerous. But if the relationship is sort of further along and they have a really sort of clear idea what it is that they want sort of now and in the future then as I say I can kind of really hone the number of titles I put in front of them so it's a, it depends what they're looking for and as I say what stage of the process they're at. And um, are you uh, involved in the actual bidding when it gets to that stage where you've put these two sets of people together and there's real interest so is that is that the point at which you uh, take a back step or it used to be <laughs> it used to be the point at which when, when numbers started flying around I would sort of elegantly exit the stage left um, but increasingly what's happening of course with um with you know these sort of huge streamers is that you know the money for uh, book to film and tv is a lot more than it used to be and very competitive auction situations are increasingly the norm so I feel like my producers rely on me a lot more in terms of financials and numbers and uh, getting the 
those aspects together before they actually go back to the rights holder, to the agent or the publisher or whoever it is. I, I do feel like I'm much more involved than I used to be at a sort of later stage. And that must be good for you in a way, because it's probably an expertise that you'd built up over the years, but not actually been involved with. But presumably that means that you're role is actually even more valued and perhaps that means you're remunerated even more (laughs) um I mean it's all sort of part of the service really but um I have to say I find it intellectually fascinating because as I say I've never really been I mean before and you know past life I was involved in in sort of offers and negotiations and and contracts when I was commissioning uh for a publisher and also when I worked for, for a literary agency so it's nice to be involved in in that stage again because it is exciting you know the point where you're getting close to agreeing an option and knowing that that property is yours something you've worked really hard for and that you're really passionate about bringing to screen you know it's an it's it's, it's a privilege to be involved with that to sort of mm. you know and there's a closeness to it again that, that sort of as I say that trust evolves even further that the producers know they can really rely on you and that you're sort of protecting their interests I'm I'm just I'm going to ask you about what you describe what you do day to day but I'm sort of thinking as you're describing how things are changing that um perhaps I've always regarded this as quite a slow job with maybe one or two successes but it maybe it's becoming a lot busier you know just the, the market is becoming more hungry for for product uh, to go on the screen so perhaps it's a, a, a really expanding area. But has the speed and the number of potential stories, books actually increased or is it increasing in, in your view? Yeah, it's absolutely exploded. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of exploding anyway with the streamers coming coming online, but um, added added to that the pandemic and the fact that everybody is locked indoors and producers sort of see it as a sort of you know we're a captive audience you know they need IP and books are such a legitimate source because the world is completely fully formed and ready to go as opposed to and you know screenplays are absolutely brilliant but um, sometimes you have the idea and then you have to go and write the screenplay, whereas the book's already there. It's all laid out for you. The blueprint is established. So it's absolutely uh, ferocious at the moment. You know, the auctions are ferocious. There is a lot more material flying around. There's more agents. There's more submissions. There's more to keep. I mean, it was always, scouting was always quite a, quite a big and stressful job. I used to do it about 10 years ago uh, for foreign rights publishers so I'd read everything in the English market and then tell the French and the Germans and the Russians and the Koreans what they should buy from the English market and within that we had one film and tv client as well and the reading was just interminable I mean it just went on and on and on you could never get across the number of books that were being published or that were being sent out by literary agents but it's, I mean, I think it's probably, and even the editors and in, in sort of publishing are saying that they are getting just such a volume of of books submitted. I think also because people have been writing in lockdown. A lot of people have been writing. Yes, everyone, <laughs> everyone I know is writing. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, I was just going to go, go going to ask though. I think it's probably it's quite important to get back to the nuts and the bolts. So could you tell me, what do you actually do? So are you sitting there with 
hundreds of books. Um, what I mean, what 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 is the the role? Because I think a lot of people would be fascinated and interested in in what you're doing, but have no idea how you go about it. Right. Um, so a lot of it is conversations with agents uh, and other people in the industry about to a certain extent, what they're reading and what they're liking that's been published, but really scouts have to work a bit earlier than that. So it's more about what's on submission, what publishers are thinking about acquiring, what everyone is excited about in that capacity. So based on those conversations and sort of various other outlets that I sort of have access to, I will kind of, I have an idea of what I think is exciting and what I think has potential for adaptation, what I think my clients might be interested in. And then I'll go out and I'll source that material. So that means effectively (laughs) pulling in a lot of PDFs um, that then sit on my desktop and need to be read. Uh, And I sort of prioritise them and I sort of decide, you know, sort of which books might be interesting for which clients. And within that, I do a sort of a, I mean, scouts all work differently, but I do monthly updates for my my clients. So they'll get sort of an update once a month about books that I think in the market that I think interesting or selling well. And then anything I might have read, I do sort of coverage. So there's the sort of title hunting on the one side and there's the reading on the other. And in a month, in a typical month, how many books do you actually read through? Um, I mean, if I'm if I'm reading full speed, I can get through two in a day. But that's not really sustainable. <laughs> uh, seven days a week. So that, you know, sort of 14 books a week, which I guess what's that? Sort of 60 books a month. I understand that you did you did have quite a, a stressful time one London <laughs> book fair. You can tell me about that story. Well, it was so you have the spring book fairs that all come together. So there's the Bologna book fair, which is um, for children in Italy. It's so lovely. And that used to be sort of in March. And then you'd have London book fair straight after. So there were two back-to-back fairs, which sort of doubles the amount of work that you have to do. And I ended up reading idiotically when I look back on it. Um it was a very early e-reader and it, it, it corrupted the file and made it very grey and very faint. So instead of putting it down like a sensible person, I read cross-eyed. I read it with it up to my nose for six hours. I remember the book as well. It was a really great book. It was called Genesis by Bernard Beckett. And and then I, I could not open my eyes for a month. My eyes sort of locked in that position. And I had such terrible eye strain that I was unable to kind of refocus. I mean, it was terrifying at the time. That's, that's the trouble. You were he- ahead of the curve, even in terms of the technology, weren't you? <laughs> that's the thing. We were all so excited about this new technology. I mean, as a result, I absolutely will not read on a Kindle. I just can't. I have such a sort of traumatic response to e-readers. Mm. But I'm fine reading PDFs on screen. So so that, that's quite a, a large number of books. And do you also need um, media experience? Um, you, you've actually been described as an excellent editor with an eye for compelling story and vision to create an unforgettable package. Um, So that says to me that you have many, many different sets of expertise. Do you you actually need media experience to to bring all of those together as well? Yes, I think it helps, but it it, it comes as as part of the territory, really. You know, you can't help but pick up the media experience sort of based on the conversations and the people that you work with so I sort of feel like it's a relatively natural thing 
that you pick up the media experience as you go and that sort of helps to helps to sort of heighten the way in which you report to clients and what you report to clients and this unforgettable package what could that mean to the lay person? <laughs> I'm trying to think who want to have said that. It's a lovely comment. <laughs> I think I'm very flattered. Um, I mean, I suppose that's sort of referring to vision. So obviously when you're reading a book just for a book's sake, it's quite that's quite a sort of that's quite a linear experience of text. And I think that when I'm reading, it's actually quite interesting because obviously I, I edit, but then I sort of read for the producers as well. And sometimes when I'm editing, I can I can feel my scouting mind working, which means I sort of will gloss over things, and I have to kind of recorrect myself and sort of think, no, 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 actually, I'm I'm critiquing this. I need to say what's wrong. <laughs> so, so can I just can I just wind back there? So, when when you say you're reading, um, but you're also editing, are you, are you doing two roles at the the same time often for a client? So, are you editing as well as? scouting a little bit a little bit I mean I feel like sort of my editorial background really feeds into the way I scout I, I, I can't help it when I read a book I'm thinking what's right with this and what's wrong with it it's, it's, it's just my natural response to a text so when I'm reading a book for a producer if the dialogue is weak that is something that I will be putting in my in my coverage. And and when you're doing that critique, I mean, are you thinking, oh, this is easily fixed, but the big story is there. And so actually, to me, it looks as if you're doing a number of different things all at the one time, the editing, the working out whether this is something you can work with, whether it would make something brilliant on screen. But how much of that is is actually your expertise and how much is, is gut feel? I, prob- I think it's probably a mix. As I say, it feels very natural to me when I read to be thinking visually how is this going to convert and what are the weaknesses in a possible conversion and are those weaknesses something you could fix? Because, I mean, that is very much sort of part of the process of adaptation, that if there's any sort of weakness in the underlying text, you can address it in the act of adaptation, which is one of the reasons I absolutely love this area and I'm passionate about it because what you get is underlying narrative structure. And I'm absolutely bananas about narrative structure. It's my favourite thing to talk about. And so the fact you use that when assessing something for film and TV and that ends up sort of honestly being the deciding factor a lot of the time you know what is the underlying narrative structure is it weak is it strong where are the fault lines and how can you sort of steady it up like a building you know what sort of scaffolding is required to make it stand to make that story stand so um, I think it's probably a bit gut feeling and then a bit experience. I'm really fascinated by this aspect of, of having to really cover absolutely everything and come at projects both from a client's perspective but also you're looking out for books are just great books that maybe no one's heard of yet but last year on September the 3rd the Guardian reported that there were almost 600 new books published on the pre the big pre-Christmas launch day which was the 3rd of September and that was a third up on the number of books from the previous year and I can tell, as you, you've just been uh, confirming, that the market is already just booming and becoming more so. 
So how on earth does someone like you keep up with all of that noise and make some sense of it? Are there any shortcuts or go-to authors or types of stories that you, you just know? And so therefore you can, you can really sift things so that you don't go crazy with, you know, thousands of books. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, I think part of the advantage of having done this for such a long time is that I am able to see through noise and there are a lot of genres that are not going to work for producers. So being able to, like, I mean, we, what we often get are these are these rights guides from publishers and from agents, uh, which are a kind of a roundup of every single title that they are either representing or publishing um, for a season. And, you know, the rights guides can be 100 pages and uh, they must just be so overwhelming to people that aren't able to you know, so I look at an author and I know I've read sort of three of theirs in the past and I know exactly what they're about. So there's that sort of immediate orientation, that immediate I'm able to sort of navigate those documents very quickly and whiz through them and sort of know exactly the books that are going to jump out and be and, and potentially be something for me to look at. So, I mean, as I say, it, it is exponentially um, in terms of wealth of material, it's it's going up. There is a lot more than there used to be. So it's a bigger job than it used to be, but there are absolutely ways that I can navigate it. And that is mainly due to the fact I've been doing it for a long time. So I sort of know what to look for. How many years have you been doing? So I've been working in publishing for 22 years now. Started at a literary agency, then went and started scouting. Then I worked for a publisher and then I came back to scouting and editing sort of you know for, for myself you you must have seen uh something that i find um extremely uh, challenging actually and as well as interesting is um the changes in tastes and what's acceptable and we haven't really talked about this but i think the dig which is a film that's just come out and it's probably going to do very well which John Preston, one of our other guests, um, actually wrote, I think it was something like 2004 or six or something when that book came out, and it's only just made it to the screen now. But um, given the, the fact that, you know, it takes ages for these projects to come to fruition, but also tastes are changing over time. Look at the emphasis on diversity and language and culture and surely you, you know how can you accommodate the fact that things are changing when you've got such a large a long period of time between you finding something and it actually making it to the screen I think that's actually where a kind of um intense understanding and love of narrative structure really helps because you you know you reference those those sort of um, titles that have obviously gone on to be very successful adaptations, and it's about the treatment, and it makes that book that was maybe published ten or twenty or thirty, you know, or even longer years ago, highly relevant to a modern audience. And so, I mean, you look at something like The Favorite, which is you know about Queen Anne, but the way that that is depicted feels so current and so relevant um you know that even you know the queen's gambit that was published in the 1980s and yet mm. the story of this young woman kind of taking on a very sort of you know masculine sphere 
is highly pertinent to how we operate today. And I feel like that's the test. You know, if the if the bones of the book itself are sound, it doesn't matter if tastes shift and change because in adaptation you'll be able to pull something out for uh, the audience now that they can they can relate to. That's very interesting. So um, coming back to the rise of Netflix and Amazon and you know all these others entering screen production, in what ways do you think it will change your role? And I think also, is this going to be more opportunity for UK authors and stories? Um, yes. You know, they're very acquisitive, these streamers, um, and they need current constantly updated content so there is capacity there is demand and whilst many of them are based in the US what I absolutely love about sort of this this current situation is that they are so internationally focused these big streamers you know they're not looking at American stories for an American audience it is so far beyond that and I feel like you know it's 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 a real privilege to be working in the industry at the moment because it, it means that I am I'm looking at stories set in Africa and Scandinavian stories and authors who live in Germany and I've got people who are asking about, you know, terribly exotic territories and, you know, stories from voices we haven't heard before. It's uh there there's such an expansiveness to the sort of IP that they're looking at and that kind of you know, it's sort of truly inspiring, as I say, to be working in that industry. But that's being driven by by the streamers. So I feel like it, UK authors, there's all the opportunities are there. All the opportunities are there. As they are for, you know, anyone, it feels like it's so inclusive. That's what I absolutely love about it. I mean, I think I've had a mixed experience. I mean, some things I think are, are absolutely fantastic. Other things are, are not such good uh, quality so do you think we will see, um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know, I'm just sort of thinking that, you know, 20 years ago, there would be a certain uh, way of doing things. And now, as you say, things are much more uh, diverse. But do you also think that we're getting to the stage where we're, we're also having to make sure that the quality is absolutely top notch? Uh, yes, and I do feel like the fact that it's such a competitive world at the moment is sort of pushing everyone to deliver higher and higher quality. So no one can kind of rest on the laurels of their of their past successes. You know, there is this sort of there's a lot there's a lot more being invested in terms of time and creative resources and money to really heighten the quality of of the of the adaptations that we're seeing and I mean I'm thinking about the most thrilling aspects of your job because it does sound to me like quite a a challenging job in a way because you have so much to do on your own you know uh, in the privacy of your own um, workspace and then you're expected to deliver but once that's over I'm sort of thinking are there exciting aspects to your job beyond what you've described you clearly love what you do I mean you get you get to go and see the sets of some of the things that you've been involved with in the early stages no I don't I, I mean I'm sure I'm I mean I'm sure I'd be invited but if I asked but 
I mean, I sort of relish my role of working behind the scenes. I, I, you know, if they want me to be there and see kind of the, 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 the eventualities of the discussion that we've been having sort of years before, then you know, happily I would go. But I mean, I do absolutely love my job and I find it so enjoyable to kind of read and assess and critique and think about how something might work and, you know, the number of characters and what the character traits are that might appeal or not appeal in terms of, you know, garnering an audience in interest. So I feel like my job's really enjoyable as it is. Like I don't really need any more sweeteners. <laughs> yes, you're happy, happy as you are. And if I was to say to you, um, someone wanting to be a scout or an aspiring literary scout, is there a, a typical route what would your advice be to someone who wanted to be someone like you? Um, I think sort of getting into any uh, role in publishing is key and ideally really actually not starting with a scout, with another scout. So I think what's what's really helpful for me in terms of scouting is that I've had experience working for a literary agency, working for a publisher. Um, so I've seen all sides of the industry and that helps with with contacts as well and who knows you and where you can call information from if you sort of start working as a junior in one of the sort of bigger scouting agencies then you pick up the contacts that they already they already have as opposed to that sort of um you know sort of cross-pollination effectively so but but basically get in any way you can um (laughs) at any level you can and work like mad and read like crazy that that's really, that's really <laughs> yes be faster yeah able to able to read things fast yeah exactly. um have you a favorite adaptation of that it doesn't need to be something you've been involved with but um, a favorite adaptation over the last few years that's close to the book or even better than the book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is interesting what people say more often now you know sort of 10 years ago there was always oh the book was better than the film the book was, the mm. book was always better than the film but actually there's been such a shift and now people say it was it was better than the book I and mean, that, that that's a real mark of the sort of quality and 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 the, the the seriousness and the devotion with which producers treat source material you know as I say I just love working for them and mm-hmm. helping bring these sort of projects to the market so in terms of adaptations that I personally have loved there are many Oldies but goodies, Friday Night Lights has just always been sort of so dear to me. I just loved that adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more recently, I thought Good Omens that Amazon did was an absolute triumph. It was so wry and witty and sardonic and so close to the original text as well, which I loved. Wolf Hall was just divine. Um I'm actually currently watching My Brilliant Friend, uh, HBO, and I just those books were extraordinary, and they've been treated with such love. That's very reassuring, isn't oh, it, for someone? That, yeah, exactly, exactly. That you know, there's such respect for the books uh, in terms of adaptation. So yeah, those I've absolutely. I, I also loved Game of Thrones. I thought that was triumphant. Yes, well, it was in, in many ways, wasn't it, really? Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, a last question. It's slightly cheeky, but um, uh, knowing, as you do, what makes a perfect TV or film story and script and being an expert editor, are you tempted to um, 
write something yourself, which you just know will be really successful, and you clearly have every possible contact you could possibly need <laughs> in order to give something the best. Maybe you already are, but uh, I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm not. I'm laughing because I'm not. <laughs> because it's um, it's really interesting. I I have no desire to write. It's it's just not. It's not what I'm good at. Um, I love reading and that's the way my brain works and I just don't feel like so even if I saw there was a gap somewhere that could be filled I'd be more likely to tell someone that's a gap and 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 say go away and write it and then I'll (laughs) and then I'll edit it or I'll you know put it in front of someone that might be able to help but writing it myself sort of I'm more of of a, a deconstructor than a constructor I'm afraid well, what a wonderful place to to close. It's just, it's actually brilliant to be talking with someone who's found your calling, really, and just enjoying it so much and, and not looking for anything else, but saying, no, this this is the right thing for me. It's actually very, very lovely to hear. Philippa, thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. It's a, an area most of us never really hear about and therefore wonderful to have your insight. And uh, I think next time we're all sitting down watching and uh, critiquing the latest treat on screen, um, I think we'll be thinking about you and, and <laughs> you know the sort of work that goes on before we see these wonderful things on screen. Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you. I, I, I just love my job. Anyway, it's probably very obvious. <laughs> and um, so it just remains for me to thank you for listening to the Bell Books and Stories podcast. And do keep an eye out for the release of our latest audiobook, which you've probably heard me talking about before. Bill Patterson's uniquely recognisable voice brings a warmth and authority to the narration of Hurricane Hutch. Um, so I hope you will get a chance to hear that soon. Today's studio production was by Perrin Sledge and I'm Kay Hutchison. Please join me next time and in the meantime, bye for now.